This one um, hopefully passes by in peace. Um, there might be some redundancy. There might be a little bit of redundancy from some of the things we said when meditating on um, the life, so I'll try to avoid that. Um, I wanted to go over certain sayings of Antony, some from the life, some that are from the Paradise or the Desert Fathers. I can't. No, because no, it goes back and forth into noise, and then I get rid of that. Okay. So this one's going to be more of a combination of the sayings and the the life um, to get certain points just driven home, um, and then we'll open it up for the Q and A. As I said, if you have stuff, you can write it down, um, and we'll go from there. So. I want us to take focus a little bit, like in this one, to not talk about just what people do wrong, okay, but to have a more positive emphasis on um, virtue, which is to do good, right, is to do right instead. So, because everything that, that Antony was talking about, um, was talking about the temporality of this life. This is kind of what monasticism is based on, right, is this, the idea of the fact, that, the fact that we're going to die, and that when you die, you don't really take anything um, with you, right? So that's why St. Anthony asks, why not rather get those things that we can take away with us? Prudence, justice, temperance, courage, understanding, love, kindness to the poor, faith in Christ, freedom from wrath. So um, these are in a completely random Order, so there is not a coherent necessarily uh, mechanism to this. So, the first saying For what use to the hearers is it to know from them what is going to happen before the time? I get so ADD, I'm sorry. Um, or what concern have we to know such things even if the knowledge be true? Um, for it is not productive of virtue, nor is it any token of goodness. For none of us is judged for what he knows not, and no one is called blessed because he has learning and knowledge. But each one will be called to judgment in these points, whether we have kept the faith 
and truly observed the commandments. So what is the thought behind this? Yeah, now you have to listen up. There's a <laughs> The mic turns on and off, and it's really oh, awkward. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> for, what, well, for what use to the hearers is it to know from them what is going to happen before the time? Or what concern have we to know such things? Even if the knowledge is true, for it is not, the produ- it is not productive of virtue, nor is it any token of goodness. For none of us has judged for what he knows not, and no one is called blessed because he is learning and knowledge. But each one will be called to judgment in these points, whether he have kept the faith and truly observed the commandments. What is his point here? We'll be judged against what we know and do, not against what we don't know. Right, and what is his point of bringing this up? What? What is the point of him bringing this up? You're right, and what is the point of him bringing that up at all? Because people always want to know things that... We always want to know what's going to happen next, or things that maybe in terms of God really doesn't matter like we're on a need to know basis and from God's perspective we don't need to know right so this is what we were talking about earlier is the unprofitable knowledge right is that he's saying that people who want visions people want to know random things he's like well, what use is this to you right this is just to bring our mind the, the acuity of thought of why bother talking about this or why seek to know it if there's actually no benefit to it what's up though? go for it but, so for example, when we come across people or we hear stories about people that might look like Pope Clovis or, you know, modern day saints or even old saints that are able to tell them their thoughts, you know, uh, or answer some of the questions that they had beforehand, and it does something for the faith of that individual, mm-hmm. would, I mean, I feel like at that point that's not unprofitable knowledge. I feel like it helps people. It's something where people not only get the answer to their question, Right. And that's why it would depend on what is the source of this knowledge, right? Like, who did I receive this from? Like, when Anthony told him, no, actually, you're a donkey, and that was the other quote that goes with this, I knew from the demons. What is the reason I'm saying it to you? Am I showing off, right? Or is there a benefit? And so, usually, a person who has spiritually acquired this gift has some, as somebody who has with it already discernment, right? So they know when to use it. Because, for example, Pope Corollas didn't actually always tell people what he knew, even when he did, right? And then there were other times where he, where he didn't know um, where something was, where somebody recently was talking about how he would ask a lot of questions because he didn't know what was going on. So the, I guess what you're saying is, is more to, to get deeper into what would be considered useless knowledge, right? So definitely knowledge can be used to somebody's benefit, even if it might seem superficially useless. Um, and here, what he's trying to get at is the right-hand wars, right? Is that he, the other quote that goes with this is the one about the donkeys that we, that we talked about, where certain brethren came to Abba Antony that he might tell them about the visions which they had, um, and whether they came from the devils or not. Um, now they had them with him a donkey, and he died on the road as they were coming, and when they had gone to the presence of the old man, he said to them right away, how was it that your donkey died on the road? And they said, when did you know, Abba, that our donkey was dead? And Abba Antony said, the devil showed me the matter. And they said to him, well, we have come to ask you questions because we have seen phantoms and also because on several occasions they've actually become real things, right? So sometimes they were true. 
and we want to learn whether we have erred or not. And the old man showed them that much that such phantoms which arise through certain devils cannot be inquired into. So the reason for bringing this up is to bring up the concept of the right hand war, right? Is that the left hand wars in monastic liturgy you'll hear about a left blow and a right blow, or left hand battle or right hand battle. And the left hand battle is the wars of the flesh, right? Is like to lie, to steal, to curse, to fall and to fornicate. Whatever it is, is the physical sin. It's something that's a, a sin of self-control, a sin of the flesh. Whereas a right hand war um, is a sin of excess, usually excess virtue. So a blow from the right is where somebody is straying a little bit more towards overzealousness and mistaking it for virtue. Right? So somebody who's, who's taking a good thing and using it in the wrong way. And this is something that really is, is dangerous. Like I'd, like I'd rather someone be in a left-hand war than a right-hand war because the right-hand war is a lot more deluding, a lot more dangerous, as we said before, and, and, and everything. Um, and so a lot of the things that come with right-hand wars is superstitions, dreams, um, and the supernatural stuff. Right, And this is the stuff that really secures somebody um, in the wrong way. A person who goes on the right-hand war, especially when there's things like this, like the useless knowledge, the apparitions, the visions, where you don't know where the real source is, um, confirms you in your delusion even more. And so these people start to become more self-directed, right? And they start to feel that they are sufficiently trained, that they don't need the, the communion of believers, right? They don't need to have anybody around them instructing them. In fact, if somebody were to tell them something's not right, instead of being like, oh, I wonder what it is that I'm doing that I think is, is not right, and, and genuinely and honestly trying to review, they become angry, right? Or they think that the other person um, is saying it because they're jealous um, or, or something like that. And sometimes the devil will use this just to, um, just to stir up stupidity, really. Um, so when you don't know your source of information, you can get it from a wrong source, right? Like that's what's going on here is that you don't realize that the source is, is demonic. And so at best, this is neutral, but at worst, it's, um, it's dangerous and the opposite of, of judgment. So I do remember once at the monastery of St. Anthony in the Red Sea, um, there was a guy who wanted to go up to the cave before leaving the monastery to, um, to pray. And so a friend of his asked if he could go up with him. So they started going up the mountain. And so there's like these little rest stops on the way up, like these little tendas. And so they stopped in one of them. Um, and while they were sitting, um, one of them noticed lights on the mountain. This was like two o'clock in the morning. So those of you who have gone there, the liturgy in the mountain is done by then, so it's not like it was, it was them. And the person assumed that it was like someone's flashlight that was going like to ascend up the mountain. So he looked at his friend and he's like, who would be coming up right now? Like this is really, really late, like this isn't normal. Because they were going up that late because they wanted to avoid seeing people in the liturgy. Um, and the guy looked at him and was like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, the, the lights, like the lights that are hitting the mountain. He was like, I don't, I don't see any lights. Um, and so the person was like, you don't, you don't see those? Um, and so he's like, no. So he's like, but you're freaking me out. So he did sign of the cross, and the lights went. A few minutes later, the lights were on again, right? And so at that point, he understood that it was, it was a warfare. And so that's something the devil likes to show. And so you might think, well, what was the point of that? Like, why would he bother? Like, what's up with the light show, right? And so there's like... <laughs> but... The devil's not an idiot, 
okay? Like the devil knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the nature of these two people that were up there, right? To the one who saw it, it could have become a source of, I get to see stuff, right? Like I'm that, I'm that guy, right? Whereas that guy is not, right? So there's this sense of being puffed up. There's a sense of importance. There's a sense of, of inquisition of something that actually doesn't build up in any single way. Like what was the point of the lights on the mountain? To the other guy, it was like, why wasn't I the one who saw? Right? Is it because I'm inferior? Is it because I'm not struggling the right way? And then suddenly his focus in his spiritual life is, how do I see lights? Right? As opposed to like, the, the real object, objective of the matter. And then there can become even a friction between the two because you, they, they'll feel, the one will feel uncomfortable being around the other because they feel that the other is Like There's a lot that can come from a very simple event right? that was really actually stupid right like it really there's absolutely nothing impressive about lights hitting the mountain but that's why useless knowledge can have a really dangerous um, effect or it can have you just misled from the goal and that's all he wants is us to leave the goal worship anything but god that's why even with with our lord in the mountain he's like listen do whatever you want just bow down before me i'll give you whatever you want right just don't don't be with with the god guy um uh we talked a little bit about discernment, but I'm going to bring up these two quotes to get your thoughts on it and then maybe take a different slant on it. Um, here's two things. One, Abba Pambo or Bimwa in Arabic, um, says of the following, If a man dwell in silence for God's sake and not for the sake of vainglory or any other human thing, and if another who is sick give thanks, gives thanks to God for his sickness, and he endures him that ministers unto him with long suffering, he becomes like a man that is in silence. And if he who ministers unto men does it not for the reward of this world, but for God's sake, and he constrains himself in everything, and does the will of those who are ministered unto by, by him in love and gladness, he becomes like the one who shuts himself up in silence, and like unto him that is sick. And this way, the work of all three is of equal merit. What he's saying is, he's like, okay, he's differentiating somebody who's a solitary, okay, for the sake of God, somebody who's enduring sickness for the sake of God, um, and somebody who's serving in the world um, for the sake of God. So he's saying, if these were all doing it for the right thing, are they of equal merit? For Abba Joseph and Abba Pimin divided the perfect ascetic life into three classes. Um, and so they're advising this young, young monk and saying, if you conduct yourself according to any one of these three callings, you will be perfect. And this is well known from that which Abba Antony said, many have afflicted themselves with labors um, and tribulations because they had not in them the power of discernment. They did not know the way... Um, of truth. And more articulately, what St. Anthony actually said, because they're paraphrasing him, is there are some monks who vex their bodies, and I substitute monks here for Christian, okay? There are some monks who vex their bodies with labors of abstinence and self-denial, and who, because they have not found understanding, are remote from the path of God. What do you take from that? Asceticism not done for the love of God is useless. Right. So we have to understand, like, the royal way, right? This is the Antonian legacy, as we said before. Anybody who's going too far to the right is, is messed up. Anyone who's going too far to the left. So we have to make sure that, like we said earlier today, that whatever discipline we do is not for the sake of that discipline, but for what is behind it right so if i'm going to seek silence what am i doing with my time because it's not silence that intrinsically is good 
right? Is it silence that's spent in, in meditation? Good. Is it silence spent to punish someone? No, it's, it's not good. But this is also even true for you guys to think about. We already talked about spiritually a little bit earlier. Um, but like, for example, if I start making progress on that road, okay, like let's say I start doing a good thing with the right way. But as I start to progress in this, have I stopped to reevaluate um, what I'm doing? Because maybe I've grown in my love for God, but I've diminished in my love for my neighbor, right? Then I'm no longer fulfilling the gospel, right? So I need to come back and ask, have I withdrawn from people in a way that is wrong, right? Have I made this love for God actually start to be the opposite of the gospel? This is where we start seeing the whole left versus right. The left would be to do nothing, right? I never have silent time. I never have time for meditation. I don't pray. I don't read the Bible. I don't care about your grace. These would be all left-hand wars. But the right-hand would be that I start doing it, things are going well, but then I just get so excited that I, I start veering the wrong way. And this takes a lot of vigilance, a lot of bringing your mind back to the purpose, like we said, of what is the point of everything, not just of this action, but of my whole life, right? Because even in the service, I see this, right? Where in the service, we start doing stuff just for the sake of doing it, right? Where it's just like, no, we've always had this meeting. We need to have this meeting. Well, why do we need to have this meeting, right? Is there, is there a hedef anymore? Is there a goal to this anymore? Um, and what is the point of the activity? Like I heard fights, well not fights, but animated conversation about um, whether or not like people should be in the like evaluated at the churches like for the spiritual competition. It's all important stuff. I'm not undermining it, but it's a question of well, is the objective the competition, right? Or what is the objective? We need to be real about these things because if it's about getting scores, well, what have we done? Right? So these left hand, right hand words are not just true of your spiritual life of, in terms of virtue and vice, but they're also true even in, in our services where something becomes weird. Right? Even I know like my, my priest in Canada, one thing I really admired with him is he never asked us um, to pray tizbaha, um on Saturday nights. There was never a request. And he emphasized to us that this was a monastic practice. And that it's of benefit, and he taught it to us, and we, and we liked it. But the value in this is that whenever we did tizbaha, we did tizbaha because we wanted to do tizbaha. And it actually naturally became an, a, a normal thing. We ended up just doing it um, because we liked to. But the difference is that if, if we were encouraged to do tizbaha because tizbaha just needs to be done, right? Like that's an action that gets done Saturday nights, nobody benefits, and it's just a duty. Right now, it's just like, yeah, we, we, we fulfilled our obligation. Tazbaha has been prayed, right? But then what? Right? And so the, the ability to look at the point of the action and then to know what is too much and what is too little um, is, is extremely important. That we need to know what is too much, too much. But now what about that sometimes, obviously, we're not, we shouldn't be pushed by our feelings for something, right? So my spiritual life shouldn't be based on emotion, right? That I feel like praying or I feel like being made bare, I feel like going to the high should be. I've heard that like sometimes you just have to force yourself. So kind of where does what you just said reconcile with that? That's why I said beforehand, what is the objective of the act to begin with? That is what would define it, right? Like so Abu Nathanasius was saying, this is a monastic practice. Right, this actually wasn't part of the lay practice. So this is something that's optional that can be a matter of conviction, right? Versus prayer in general is not an option, whether you feel it or not, right? So that's why we have to put it in its place. What is it? What is it for? Is this a dogma? Is this something else? And I, I agree completely. We're not supposed to be run by our emotions, right? But um, we do have to 
know what it is. And this is what I think we lack in our generation, is that we don't know very much. So we don't know what the point of things are, where they came from, why we're doing them, what they mean. And so because of it, people are making decisions that are, are not always informed um, about the things. Good question. Um, so to follow from this, we see this story, um, two stories of moderation. One, and again, his soul, St. Anthony, was free from blemish, for is neither contracted as if by grief, nor relaxed by pleasure. Uh, actually, no, I'm going to skip that one because we already read that one earlier. They tell the story that on one occasion, whilst the blessed Anthony was dwelling in the desert, thoughts of dejection and despair rose up in his mind. Uh, this is one of the best stories. And he was in deep gloom of thought. And said unto God, Lord, I wish to live, but my thoughts will not permit me to do so. What shall I do in my tribulations to be saved? And he came a little nearer to the town from the place where he was, and he saw a man who was like unto himself and was in his own form. And he was sitting down and twisting palm leaves into ropes. And this man rose up from his work and prayed. And afterward he sat down again and continued his work, and then he stood up once more and prayed. Now the man was an angel who had been sent from God to correct and to admonish the blessed Antony, who afterwards heard him say unto him, O Antony, do thou also this, and live. And when Antony heard this, the blessed man had great joy, and afterwards he did as the angel had done, and lived. What do you make of the point of this story? Following from the discernment one. It's basically to keep our minds busy so that we're not tempted. Um, to give us something to basically help us keep our focus on God. Excellent. What do you think of the quantities prescribed to him? There wasn't. And did he, like, was the angel's instruction, okay, stand up all day and pray? is do everything, anything that's done for God is a prayer in and of itself, right? That's why you hear the monks say, work a little, pray a little, eat a little, right? And so work a little, pray a little, eat a little. Some will say sleep a little. Um, I guess they can only have one or the other. Um, but there's a moderation here, right? And like this is, the, this is the key, right? Is that there's not an excess of any of them. Where it's like, no, all these are necessary. As you said, you need to keep the mind busy, right? But I also really particularly like the, the realness here of Antony's emotions, right? Is like that Antony is in despair, right? Like if you can think of when this happened, this is when he started to move towards the, the farther desert and he just has this moment of like, I don't even know what to do, <laughs> right? Like I've left everything, but I actually don't know what, I, like I've always lived with people. Even before this, he was living with the old men, right? So suddenly he's on his own. And I like that realness of Antony, right? Of being able to say, I have no clue and I'm really anxious about this. Like, how are you going to spend my day? Right? Like, I, I'm, Lord, like, I'm, I'm stuck and I'm in despair. So, moderation is, is key. Um, a brother said unto Abba Antony, pray for me, Father. The old man said to him, I can't help you, and God won't. Um, if, <laughs> if you will not abolish yourself and ask him yourself to do so. What do you take from this? Harsh words. Uh, 
What's that? Excellent. Okay. You can help him in his low, but he needs to carry his own burden. What else? He can't outsource his relationship to God. Excellent. I know, like that, was, that was one of the main points, right? So both of them are true, right? Is that we sometimes think that by talking to holy people, okay, that we're holy by association, right? And so <laughs> I score points, right? Um, and we time, time, sometimes want to depend on holy people um, in an unhealthy way, right? And so um, Abba Anthony could, could discern this difference, right, of somebody who just thinks like that they did their, their duty. Sometimes somebody will ask a question where they're, they're not trapping you, but they're like, whatever, there's a God, I asked him, right? But if we don't have the right kind of discipleship, then we're not going to benefit even from a holy person because... Um, I, I see one of St. Anthony's modern disciples, um, an elderly monk of 80-something years old. Um, and it's so interesting for me to see how the dynamic is between people of the monastery towards him. There are people who love him, and there are people who hate him, right, with the same person, right? And there are people who see his supernatural abilities as fraudulent, um, and there are others who, who dote over it. Um, but... I'll see someone who stares at him and mimics him, right? And so I've seen this person over the years grow in virtue because they're not just there to be around him, right? They're actually sitting in front of him to be like him, right? To say, how did this person acquire holiness, right? Whereas the other person is there to judge that person or to make excuses for himself, right? And so if we become in that other category, right, then we start to be more angry about our lack of progress, Right, where and I'll hear it like, oh, I've sat so many times with that monk and I haven't changed. And it's like, yeah, the problem's not him, right? <laughs> but we we have to realize that holiness is not by osmosis or diffusion. Okay, <laughs> is that we have to take from it because that's why even if you look at Samuel, he has two disciples, Saul and David, right? One benefited from him immensely. And the other one went to hell with him as his father, right? So we have to be able to realize that. These are all, these are all just going to be Abba Antony stuff. Abba Antony said, As a fish, when it is lifted up out of the water, dies, even so does the monk who tarries outside his cell. What do you think of that? This is not just for monks. Like I said, everything, like, take back to your secular life and think about it. A monk out of his cell is a fish out of the water. Right. We drift from our, our routine, our prayer, our profession, our communion, everything. Eventually, we'll, we'll drift away. Right. Any other thoughts or comments? The monk's cell is pretty much his heart. It's where he prays. So it's just like cutting off your prayer with God is pretty much suffocating yourself. Very good. Right. Yeah, I think the same thing, kind of a Mary Martha kind of example, like if a monk is outside his cell thinking that he's helping other monks or doing service, I think we do it in our service, 
if you're not first praying about the service and having quiet time with God, then everything else you're doing outside is kind of null. Excellent. Area. Well, yeah, it's kind of similar, but if a fish is outside of the ocean, it doesn't breathe its oxygen. I mean, excuse me, it'll die because it's outside of its um, normal. So it's almost like it's giving itself, it's making itself. I feel like that's like almost like the devil taking over at that point. So that's when you give like the open door for the devil. Excellent. Excellent. Because the, the, the underlying issue or the underlying thought here is about environment, right? So you're right, like everyone who said something is, is correct, right? Is that the, the environment of the monk is his cell, right? For us as a Christian, it's like, have you left your environment, which includes the church, which includes this, like all of this is our environment. So when I leave the place in which I acquire my holiness, right? Then, as you just said, I'm allowing the wrong thing to enter, right? A fish can breathe in water because water is its environment, right? When you put it into a different environment, it's taking in something that's toxic to it, and that's what kills it, right? And so for us to leave our, our spiritual culture, wherever it is, including the church, but also my associations, my quiet time, all of these things are, are part of it, then what I'm doing is, is leaving my environment. I'm leaving the environment in which I live, and I'm exposing myself to the things that, that kill me. So when I leave that environment, I become sterile, right? Like I'm not able to anymore grow. So like I'm going to be at best stagnant and, and usually die, right? It also might make me forget the good, right? Somebody who's suffering so long actually can forget what, it like, what it's like to be healthy, right? So when you're suffering for so long, you don't even have a memory of what it's like to feel safe. Um, and, it, and it also makes you build relationships with the bad, Right? So like I've not only left the good environment, but I'm making a, a new relationship with something that's bad for me. Um, and it's a problem. And this is such a real thing. I know even like, sounds so petty, but even in, when I was in college and farm school, like for four years, I stayed in the same room. I never changed it, right? I changed my last semester just because I was like, no, I should change. And I hated it because I lost my groove. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, you, it's something so small, but it's a real thing where I'm just like, I don't pray here, right? Like, this is not my spot. This is not where I was. This is not where I do stuff, right? That's why um, you've got to have um, some kind of stability in a place. Even moving cities and moving jobs can, can really throw things off. Like, I was always, I was taught from when I was younger, and I encourage you all to do it. We talked about it last year in the prayer thing, is to have a spot in your room dedicated to only your spiritual practices, right? That be the only spot in which you pray or read the Bible. And I was instructed not to, to, to do cell phone stuff there, not to be on my computer, not to do anything other than spirituality because it sanctifies the place and that becomes like your cell, right? Your, your quasi-monastic um, cell. Abba Anthony said, he who lives in the desert is free from three kinds of spiritual attacks. That is to say, those which arise through the ears, speech, and sight, he has only one kind to fight, namely that of the heart. What thinkest thou? Sure. Um, St. Anthony said, He who lives in the desert is free from three kinds of attacks, um, ears, speech, and sight. He has only one fight, and that is the fight of the heart. The heart. And how is that relevant?
that's Benedict Ward's version. But it's all, it's all good. Either one. That's <laughs> one. Uh, a Catholic nun uh, had translated it. But um, there, is, there are texts that say that. It's not, it's not wrong. There's, there's two versions. But either one is good because it's still talking about the inward battle. Excellent. And how do I get to my heart? Excellent. Right? Because when he's saying the one who lives in the desert, right, then understand this desert to mean the solitude for us, right? This is where we differ. So we, there's always monastic principles we can take, right? But he's saying that only a person who enters into himself, a person who goes off into solitude, right, and cuts off the, the normal temptations of sin, this is the only way that you're going to be able to start to know yourself. This is the only way that you're going to be able to start to do battle. Um, and this is a very scary thing, um, actually, because we're used to dealing with an external fight, but when you've, ex- when you've removed the external fight, you're exposed to yourself. Um, you find the root causes of sin inside of you. Right? That's why he's saying like, that person has the war of the heart because he's exposed to himself. Right? And thoughts become more pronounced um, when you have this time alone and you become able to see them in a new way. Right? Something that you might say every day might take on a new meaning. meaning. Um, and that's why real prayer can only begin when a person starts to enter. Right? Like, is that if you don't ever have this time of, of silence, you won't be aware of what's in you. I don't know if you guys remember this or not from last year with uh, Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, right? Where he was talking about um, when you turn inward, you might be shocked to find there's nothing in you, right? And that, that is what makes prayer very scary, right? Is that you find you have absolutely nothing, right? But you don't even realize that until you've actually spent time with yourself. Right, and so we need to to make sure that that's part of our our lives. Um, there's this one we we talked about earlier, but I was going to give one more story after it, um, which was the story of the the monk who or the monk wannabe um, who put the meat on him um, and went outside. So we said the whole you cannot serve God um, and Mammon. But I wanted to emphasize like another point is is we are often deluded, okay? We often think that we are worshiping God, right? So like I do remember a case where um, I was going to go with the hermit to pray um, in his hermitage, right? He's a mutawahid, he's a, a solitary. But this hermit was furious with his spiritual father. And he was livid with a a brother monk of his and it was baffling to me to see that we're walking like I don't know how many kilometers or miles whatever they're called into the desert Um, and theoretically to go do a good work right like theoretically to go pray right to spend the night in a vigil maybe do a liturgy in the morning but at the same time this man is blinded by wrath, and I'm, I'm telling the story because he's an amazing monk, like we all, we all fall, so I'm not talking about him as the, the bad monk, right? But it's, 
to realize that I might think I'm doing a good work, but I'm not fulfilling the gospel, right? I might think I'm doing a good work, but I'm, I'm actually just doing it for the show, or I'm doing it because it's a nice thing to do. So we have to really examine ourselves, right? Not just in terms of our double-mindedness, in terms of intent of, of, of work, right? But also in terms of my, my consistency, right? Am I actually somebody who cares about the gospel? Or am I being selective? Where like in this case, the gospel matters, but in this case, um, it does not. Certain brethren came to Abba Antony and said to him, speak to us a word whereby we might live. And the old man said to them, behold, you have heard the scriptures and they are sufficient for you. And the brethren said, we wish to hear a word from you also, O father. Abba Antony said to them, it is said in the gospel, if a man smite you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. And they said, we cannot do this. Abba Antony said to them, If you cannot turn the other cheek, continue to be smitten on the one cheek. And they said to him, And this we cannot do. And the old man said to them, If you cannot do even this, do not pay back blows in return for the smiting which you have received. And they said, We cannot do this. <laughs> then the old man said to the disciples, Make then for the brethren a little boiled food, for they are ill. And he said to them, If you cannot do this, and you are unable to do the other things, prayers are necessary forthwith. Okay, we talked about this earlier, but I just want to take a different slant on it. What do you guys think of this uh, story? They want this magical thing to happen to them, right? And so we have to be able to discern effort, right? To be aware of what, what are we doing? Because people have very lofty goals, right? Somebody will come in and be like, oh, I want to be able to do this. And it's like, okay, well, what have you done like so far? right? Have you been able to even keep the gospel a little bit? Because it's very unwise to aspire to greatness when you are so negligent with the little things. And so what they got exposed to was their negligence, right? Like, like they completely were negligent of one of like the major commandments, right? Of, of, of loving my, my neighbor. So don't aspire to things when you're negligent of the little things because we sometimes neglect our smaller battles as being trivial. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just this. It's not like I'm doing like insert big sin here. Um, but if I am not self-disciplined, with a small thing, on what basis do I think that I would be disciplined with a big thing? Right? Like, this is, this is, this is nonsense. Right? That's why Christ says, He who is faithful with little is faithful with much. If you're not faithful with a little, then you're not going to be faithful with much. I don't trust you. Right? And so we need to be aware of that in our, in, our, in our spiritual lives. If somebody's struggling with self-control, they shouldn't be going to, the part, to a party school. Right? Like, you can go to Santa Barbara when you know you can't control whatever it is that you want to do. Okay? If you're struggling with shoplifting, don't get a job as a cashier. Right? Like, you, you need to make, like, the decisions that match your intent. 
right? Your intention of, of, of getting uprooting the sin. Be real, right? Like, like we, can't, we can't make up stuff and, and hope uh, to do stuff. So don't do things that you can't handle. This is such an important spiritual concept, right? Is that we sometimes have this false assurance of, well, God's going to protect me. No, he's not. You're the idiot who went, right? So like, if you know you struggle with it, then don't go, right? That's why even in the book of, of Matthew, when he's talking about the end times, he's like, and when you see this and this and this and this and this, don't think right, that you can handle it. He says, run, right? He doesn't say, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, don't worry, sit tight. He says, no, run. If you hear he's in the city, go, right? If you hear he's coming to this city, flee as far from it as you can, right? So don't, don't be presumptuous, okay? Don't think that you have the ability to overcome sin. You don't, right? And we see, we've seen that over and over um, with, with St. Anthony. Um, Certain people praised one of the brethren before the Blessed Antony, and when that brother came to the Blessed Man, the old man put him to the test, and he found that he could not bear contempt at all. And the old man said to him, You are like a palace, the front of which is decorated and beautiful, but the back thereof has been broken into by thieves and plundered. I'm always asking your thoughts. What does this one tell us? Can you repeat it, please? Um, there's a man who everybody was praising, and so Antony sees him, and Antony puts him to the test and doesn't praise him and possibly does the opposite. And so the man freaks out, and so he says to him, you're a palace, you're decorated on the outside, but on the inside, it's been broken into by thieves and plundered. It's almost like he's seeking his, his worth and what other people say when he should really be only seeking, I guess, God's judgment or God's discernment, not other people's. Okay. Sounds a lot like what, what Jesus said to the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. Kind of, you, you clean the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside dirty. That you're, uh, you're focused on the outward appearances of things, and you like the praise of appearing to be holy, but on the inside you've got pride or something else that's, that's battling you that you fall into. Right. So with the Pharisees, it was hypocrisy. In this case, the question for all of us is, are we people who worship our egos? Right? Where we want to be told how right we are and how good we are. We want to get the praise when we do something right. But the minute that there's any kind of reproof, our immediate instinct is to lash out. Right? This is a, a good discerning test of the person's state of heart. Right? That's why in another father talks about for service, for example. If you want to know someone serving God or himself, remove the service from him. Because if he freaks out, he's doing it for himself. Right? If it's for God, he'll, be, he'll say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to serve you. If there's something else you want me to do, let me know. Right? But here we see that um, a person who is truly with God should be able to bear reproof, should not be upset. How upset do you get when someone tells you that there's something wrong? And how often do you immediately start to justify why you weren't wrong? Right? Of like, no, oh yeah, I get your point. I just did it because this and this and this and this and this. Right? Nobody wants to accept that they could possibly have simply been in error. Right? And it's funny because everybody expects that of everybody else. Right? Like if you're approving someone else, right, you expect them to be like, Why are you angry? I'm just telling you like what it was. I don't dislike you, I'm not judging you, et cetera, et cetera. Right? But we, we don't do that. Right? Whereas we should be able to say, okay, there's a fact here, I, I've made a mistake. Right? And that, that kind of thing should not 
um, make us upset. That's why you, even in the monastic literature, if you're accused of something that's not true, you should accept it, right? Like bear it as though it were true. If you're at, at, at work and your boss is calling you like lazy and all sorts of stuff and you don't believe you are, right? Then a more spiritual way to take it would be to go home and sit with yourself and say, I am lazy, right? I maybe could be doing more of this and this and this. Regardless of whether she's right in her assessment, okay, then maybe I could do more and more and more, right? And then you might find that you're actually excelling in virtue and you're winning them over by doing something better, right? And if over time you find that no, it's not working out, then at least you can say, you know, I took your advice because I truly felt that I was, I was too lazy. It appears to me that you're still bothered by my laziness, so I thought that I was doing everything um, to overcome that. What is it that you are identifying as lazy so that I can work on it? Right? And to sincerely want to know the answer to that. And say, okay, this is what you view as lazy, then to the best of my ability I'm going to do it. Right? Then you've gained. Right? And you got to grow from it. But if your immediate reaction is, I'm not lazy. Right? Like, she's lazy. She never does anything. Right? Like, then, like, you've lost the whole situation. Right? But when we actually look for a virtue, we can make it a terrible thing become an awesome thing where you can grow. She might lose everything, but you didn't. Right? The only thing to not is when there's something accusing you that's intrinsically wrong with your relationship with God. There's a famous story of uh, Abba Aghathun, um, where somebody came and told him, you're a liar. And he goes, I am. Pray for me. You're a fornicator. You're this. You're that. And they went on and on and on and on. And it was like nothing happened. And then he goes, you're a heretic. And he goes, I am not a heretic. Right? <laughs> and then like, how come you let all of it go except for this point? And he goes, no, this one is about me and my God. Right? A heretic is cut off from his God. So he's like, the rest I can bear. The rest could be true. But this, like about me and my God, I, I won't stand for that. So we've got to be willing to accept that. Um... On one occasion, this one's very important, especially for our age group, certain old men went to visit Abba Antony, and Abba Joseph was with them, and the old man wishing to try them spoke a word from the book. So they're reading the Bible together, and they're all, St. Anthony asks each one of them to give their input um, on what they think the passage meant. It was a difficult passage. And Abba Joseph, in the end, when it's his turn, he says, and what do you think this means, Abba Joseph? And he looks at him and goes, I don't know. And Abba Antony said to him, in truth, Abba Joseph, you have found the way by saying, I don't know. I think that one's self-evident, right? It's, when you don't know, say you don't know, right? Like, don't make up stuff. And people do it all the time, right? And they'll be like, I, you know, I think, I mean, I'm not sure, but I think. And okay, well, you're not sure, Khalas. Okay? There's no need for the next step. If there's an actual source for it, excellent. If there isn't, then just stop. Right? But even he didn't need to, the need, he didn't feel the need to be a teacher. Right? We all feel the need sometimes to instruct others. Um, and somebody like this, like this Abba Joseph that Abba Anthony prays, I think is the kind of person that when he does say something, it's going to have like a lot of weight. Right? Because they know he's not somebody who just talks and talks and talks. Right? And we see the benefit of this. I don't know if you guys know the story of St. Cyril of Alexandria when they were in Ephesus for the council. But they were under, they were under arrest for a period where there was two counter-councils going on. And the emperor wasn't particularly fond of St. Cyril. Um, but it was, it was a hermit who broke his, like I don't know how many years, silence. Okay? that took a procession of people to the palace to tell the emperor, Cyril's right, 
right? So because he's not somebody who speaks in general, when he spoke, it had weight, right? So we ought to learn to not speak unless there's something worth saying, right? We don't need to talk all the time. We don't have to give our input all the time. So if we're asked for it directly, sure, but I don't need to look for the reason to be beneficent to others with my abundance of, of wisdom. Um, so that we don't mislead people by accident, we don't add ego to the conversation. So be also aware of conversation where everyone starts competing for image and the point is lost. Those really lame conversations where everyone's trying to outsmart each other, right? I saw this a lot in the healthcare world where everybody needed to make a point of how educated they were and that they read the latest journal article and the new guidelines before they were released because I have access, right? Like that kind of thing, right? So like have... Uh, some humility um, of like asking yourself, why am I talking, right? What is the point of all of this? Um, when you ask a question, yeah. just kind of backtracking, when someone criticizes you and you just kind of accept it, where's the line between humility and, for lack of a better term, becoming a pushover? You know, it, it's hard in the corporate world and all of that to, because not everyone has a good intention when they are either. Right. Speak the truth always and fear nothing. So, like, acquire virtue, right? And it's a virtue to be honest, right? But I don't have to be antagonistic in the way that I did it, right? That's what I'm saying. So, like, this person who keeps saying that you're lazy, right? I'm like, well, at a certain point, it might be that you're not lazy. It might be that she is just being nasty, right? But that's what I'm saying. By turning it into a question, you force the accountability in the opposite direction without being rude. Right? You're like, okay, can you identify for me the places in which you think that I ought to invest more effort? Right? If that's reasonable, do it. If it's not reasonable, be like, I would love to do this. I will give it an attempt. And then attempt it so that you're honest in that acquisition of virtue. You find that it doesn't work, then come back and be like, I'm having difficulty, for example, um, covering this project and this project and this project and doing the way that you like. So, like, they're going to get sick of it, right? Because they already know that you're doing your part. What I mean is, by taking it to, to heart and by being non-confrontational, but also being honest, right? You didn't come out to her and be like, you're right, I am so lazy, right? <laughs> like, if you don't see that that's the case, that's okay. But at least you took her complaint about you as being potentially true, right? And instead of rejecting it, you attempted to rectify it, right? After that, responsibility is on them. That's what I'm saying. These are warfares, right? Because the devil is going to be attacking. And trust in his grace, Right? Like, trust that there's also going to be some consolation to go with it, either an escape from the situation, okay, or enough joy that you're able to endure in spite of the nasty person. There will be ways that God will, will give grace to go with it. Um, this story, I won't read the whole thing. So St. Anthony was sitting in his cell, and a voice came to him saying, Anthony, you have not yet arrived at the state of excellence of a certain man who is in the city. And I want to make it clear that Anthony did not have thoughts of being better than them. He was told that he has somebody better because people accuse him of that. Um, and so he goes to town to meet this guy. He was like, I need to find this. It's a tailor in the city, right? And so he goes to the city and he's like, I need to learn from him. And he asks the tailor, what do you do? Um, and the tailor says, I don't really know that I'm doing anything good. Um, I only know that when I get up in the morning, before I sit down to do my labor, I give thanks and praise him, and I put my evil deeds before my eyes, and before I, I get to work, I thank him in the morning, and I ask him to protect me, um, and that's really all, all I do. 
And so Antony says to him, um, truly as the man who works, like the goldsmith creates beautiful work, um, you have created a beautiful work. What can you learn from Abba Antony in this? So all of us have the potential for perfection wherever we are, whether in the desert or in the world. But I also like that Antony has never saw himself, in spite of being at this point like the celebrity, right, as beyond learning, right? Like his immediate response to hearing that there's a man better than him was not, what does he mean? He's better than me, right? His immediate response was, where is he? I need to meet him, right? This is the person who's really humble. That's why I, I reject any stories of his ego because it's just inconsistent with everything he ever did, right? Is that he immediately would go to the feet of those people, even in his old age. He's an old man here, right? And he's going to the city, walking a crazy journey, just to ask him, what are you doing, right? How can I learn from you? And what's even more beautiful about it is that this saying of the man became a famous saying of St. Antony's, right? Is that one of the sayings that you had on your sheet was, um, when you wake up in the morning, think not that you will live to the end. And before you go to bed, think not that you will live to the morning. And in all things, give thanks and you'll be saved. He learned it from this man, right? So like it had such an impact on him that it became his lesson to others, right? And I'm sure he was like, I learned from this tailor, right? Like to do this and this and this. Um, I'm going to skip the rest. I'll send, I'll send you guys these documents because there's, there's so many. Um, but there's only one thing that... Um, yeah, wow, this was going to take a long time. It's a good thing to stop there. Um, that I would hope that you can meditate on really is the concept of he who knows himself knows God, right? Maybe I'll address it a little bit tomorrow in the, in the wrap-up session, but meditate on that um, tonight. Um, do some of the questions now or... Okay. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Sure.